2 Corinthians chapter 9. Tonight we're going to be looking at the joy of giving. The joy of giving in this chapter. There is a real excitement about giving a gift, isn't there? Especially if you're really pumped up about it. I remember my parents took my brother and I to go Christmas shopping. I was probably about eight, and they said, you've got this amount of money uh, to spend, and we were at Bymart in, in southern Oregon at that time. I grew up in a small town. There was no Walmart or Target or any of those kind of things. There was a Bymart and a Sears, and the Sears was primarily catalog order. You'd go in and look at the, I mean, it was, it was a really small Sears store, and you'd order in the catalog. So most of the shopping was done at the Bymart. How many of you guys have ever even heard of Bymart? All five of you, the rest of you, like, I don't even know what Bymart is, right? So we go into the Bymart, and, and I bought my brother a basketball. I, I still remember looking at it, and it was multicolored. It was black and orange for the Oregon State Beavers, and I was so excited to give it to him. You know, I just couldn't wait to give him uh, this gift. So we were going to bed that night, and I was like, you know what? I'll tell you what I got you for Christmas, you know? And that's kind of been my downfall. Like, to this day, if... If I get Amber something, I'm like, do you just want to know? Just want to know what it is, you know, because I have such a hard time uh, keeping the, the surprise. So, of course, he wanted to know, and I told him, I got you basketball. And he's like, no way, I got you the same thing. <laughs> I think mom and dad were involved in that decision, you know, in, in guiding us on, on what to buy. But there is, there is something really special about being able to, to give a gift. And there's joy in giving. Jesus told us that it's more blessed to give than receive. But I think if we're honest, at the same time, we all have difficulty in giving. As much as I enjoyed giving that gift, also as a, as a child, if I was ever given money, I had a tendency to just want to hold on to it, you know, and always want more. I remember my aunt, for my eighth birthday, she took $1 bills and she folded them all up creatively and like cut up pieces of newspaper where you had to like dig through to find the dollar bills and it was really fun. <laughs> and I'm going through and I'm counting one, two, three, and I get all the way to, to eight dollars, and there's no more money in there, and I remember going, is that all? <laughs> is that it? You know, and then I got this look from my mom and dad, and they pointed to the bedroom, you know, and I was off to, to, to the bedroom, and there's something about us, you know. It's like God blesses you, and you start to have a little bit of resources, or maybe a little bit of money in the bank, and, and you start to think, well, well, I don't know what would happen if I were to give that away. I don't know what would happen if I were to bless somebody else with, with these resources. And what we find with the church of Corinth is the church of Jerusalem was at a place where there was a famine, and there was real poverty. There was real need. There was believers that weren't able to eat. So Paul goes through the Gentile church primarily, and he says, I want us to take an offering. I want us to give it to the church in Jerusalem. And the church in Corinth had made a commitment. They had committed a year prior that they would give some finances to the church in Jerusalem, but they didn't follow through with that gift. So Paul's now writing to them saying, it's time to be faithful to your promise. It's time to be faithful to what you've committed to. And what I appreciate about Paul is he doesn't just lay on the guilt trip. He gives the reason why behind it. I think a lot of times in our relationship with the Lord, especially in Christian living and what God has called us to do, is it can be guilt and shame. We, we feel a lot of guilt and, and shame, and people tend to put that on us, and we don't understand the reason why behind it. We don't understand the truth behind it, 
And Paul doesn't do that. He really gives us the truth behind giving. We think about God's heart for giving, and it's his way of raising kids. It's his way of raising children. There's something that he does, his work inside of our hearts and our lives, when he instructs us and he commands us to give in all areas of our life. I think giving's not just financial. It is financial, but it's a lifestyle, and it's the way that God's growing us up, as well as God is reflecting his character. And the very nature of who God is, he's a giver. He's created all things. He gave his son, his only begotten son, his beloved son. So very much in who he is, is he's a giver. And when we choose to give, we're walking in that image of the Lord. So it's a great, great chapter, great truths for us. I think it fits with this time of year and to really center in around why we do give. So verse one, now concerning the ministry to the saints, it's superfluous for me to write to you. So, so Paul's saying you understand the importance of ministering to other believers. And saints is a way that God refers to his children. The saint isn't someone who's perfect. It, it's not an award that's given after you die, but it's a, your position in Christ Jesus. So he's saying, I don't have to remind you of this, of how important it is to minister to, to care for the body of Christ. For I know your willingness about which I boast of you to the Macedonians, that Achaia was ready a year ago, and your zeal has stirred up the majority, yet I have sent the brethren, lest our boasting of you should be in vain in this respect, that I have said, you may be ready. So they've committed a year ago, and their commitment, their willingness to give, it actually stirred on other churches. And Paul would share with these other churches, the church of Corinth, that they're going to do this. They have the desire to, to give this gift. But now a year has gone by, and they haven't followed through with that gift. So when it comes to giving from this chapter, when God is instructing us in giving, first, number one, is giving. You have to be faithful in it. You have to be faithful in your giving. Now, please understand that the church of Corinth was not required to give. This isn't a commandment that God had given to them saying, you, you have to do this. They willingly chose to make this commitment. So when it comes to this area of giving, it's not that you have to. I hope that you understand that. I hope that God's not saying, you're hearing this heavy-handed God that's coming down to you tonight saying, you have to give. Church of Corinth, you have to give. It wasn't that they have to give. It's that they chose to give. They made the commitment to give and so follow through with that commitment. And I think this goes throughout our lives. If we tell somebody, hey, I'm going to help you move on Friday, we want to consider the cost of that. That's one of the reasons I don't own a truck. <laughs> I'm just joking, but you know if you own a truck, right, what that, what that, what that means. But if you make a commitment, you're giving, right? You're, you're going to invest in them. But if you didn't take it seriously and the time to think it through, something could genuinely come up. But if you don't want to just cancel for no reason, you want to be faithful to that commitment because your friend is counting on you to show up with your truck, to be able to be there to help them, them move. So once you've made a, a commitment to give, you want to follow through with that commitment. If something comes up, then, then by all means, uh, let them know. But you don't want to just go into that no man's zone where no one's heard from you. And the church of Corinth was at that place where they're almost getting to the non-communicative. It's not like they're saying, no, we can't give because this has come up in, in our lives. 
and they're not sending the resources, they've almost just forgot about it. I think that happens sometimes if we're honest in, in our relationship with the Lord. The Holy Spirit stirs us, and we really feel something. I know that this has happened with me before, and then I don't do anything with it. I don't take that action to reach out in that way or do that thing that the Lord has stirred me to. I get busy, and then I forget about it altogether. And a year can go by, two years can go by, and then all of a sudden it's like, oh yeah, I remember being stirred about that. And the Holy Spirit starts to bring it back around. And that's what exactly was taking place with the church of Corinth. So count the cost in our giving and be faithful. In verse four, lest if some Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we not to mention you should be ashamed of this confident boasting. Think of the possible humiliation. Here Paul's going around, hey, did you hear the church of Corinth has a heart to give? They've got a heart to bless the church in Jerusalem, but now nothing happens. It's like a cloud that looks like it's going to deliver rain, especially if there hasn't been rain for a long time. It's really hot. It's dry. Oh, here comes this nice, lush cloud. It's going to rain. doesn't produce any rain. And that was possibly what was going to happen for the church of Corinth. I do think it's Paul's heart of love for the church of Corinth and the church of Jerusalem that he's bringing this back up. And he's saying, hey, you want to follow through with your commitment. In verse 5, Therefore, I thought it necessary to exhort the brethren to go to you ahead of time and prepare your generous gift beforehand, which you have previously promised, that it may be ready as a matter of generosity, not as a grudging obligation. This is wise of Paul. He's saying, I want you to actually have time to prepare the gift so that it comes from the proper heart of generosity and it's not simply done out of obligation or drudgery. Okay, you know, here's Titus to collect the gift. I, I better find something. And this brings us to something with giving is I think in order to follow through with giving in any area of our life, it does have to be prepared, doesn't it? If we're going to give finances and, and be consistent with that, that takes thought, it takes prayer, it takes budgeting, it takes setting some, some money aside. If we're going to give time, <clears throat> If we're going to serve other believers, if, if we're going to serve inside of our church family, man, I know how busy we all are. I know how busy you are, how busy I am. And, and when you sign up to be an usher, when you sign up in children's ministry, a small group leader, men's, women's ministry, worship ministry, any ministry at the, at the church, that's, that's valuable time. You had to prepare, didn't you? You had to stop and think, what could I really do this month? What could I accomplish this month? And that's a, a big part of giving. I don't think giving really happens, a lifestyle of giving, by, by giving our leftovers to God. And what I mean by that is, well, I'll just kind of wait and see whatever's left over. I'll, I'll wait and see what finances are left over. I'll wait and see what time is, is left over. We have to be intentional with it. And that's what Paul's encouraging the church of Corinth, is be intentional with your giving so that you can do it out of generosity. There's not really anything worse than a gift that is one that's out of drudgery, obligation, guilt, shame. All right, they're putting the screws on me, so I'm going to go ahead and give, give that gift. And then Paul goes on to really talk about the heart of giving. In verse 6, but this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So Paul is showing us this principle. The illustration is a garden, and you think of seeds. Now, how good are seeds 
if they're never sown. But if you sow them, you could reap bountifully. You take care of them, you water them, you weed. You could have a bountiful harvest. And you think about a farmer in faith, he's sowing that seed in hopes for a harvest. In the same way, taking physical resources, investing in the kingdom, hoping and praying that God brings about a spiritual harvest. If you sow bountifully, you're going to reap bountifully. We have to clarify this verse, don't we? Because there's a lot of pastors, teachers that have abused this verse greatly. I call it the blab it and grab it theology. And what they've said is if you give sparingly, if you give of your finances, then God is going to give back to you and you're going to reap a hundredfold. Like, like it's the best investment portfolio on the planet. And it's this new get rich quick scheme. Now, does that line up to you with God's heart for giving? Is that why God wants us to give? Is he saying, if you give to God's work, then you're guaranteed 100% on, on your investment. No, that's not what God's saying. That's not what, what God is teaching. I do believe that God blesses giving, but it's not always in the physical. It's not always in, you've got more money that is coming back to you. At the very basic and simple level, you got to enjoy being part of the harvest. Maybe you invest in a missionary that's over in the field, they're overseas. We can't go live overseas. We're not called to do that. There has to be senders in order for someone to be able to go and do that. But we're giving to the work. We're praying for the work. Then we get to rejoice in the harvest. We get to be a small part of, of, of what God is, is doing. You know, if God leads you to give to, to this church family, you get to be part of what God is doing. You get to look around and see, man, this is just a building but God's using it, and people are coming to know Christ as their Savior here. People are getting married here. People are burying their loved ones here. Young children are, are getting discipled in the ways of the Lord. You get to be part of the harvest. And that, that's the joy of giving, is saying, man, I'm so thankful that I get to be part of that spiritual reward that, that God gives. So be careful that this isn't taken away out of context, that you don't get this idea that, well, I'm giving to be able to get, to, to be able to receive. So verse 7, so let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. So we need to give faithfully. If we've made a commitment to give, we want to follow through with that commitment. And then we need to give purposefully, number two, purposefully. If you look in verse 7, it says, so let each one give as he purposes in his heart. I love this about giving, and I love this about the Lord is God wants giving to be between you and him. Where you seek the Lord on what he would want you to give, financially in all areas of your life. And then guess what? God begins to write on your heart what he would have you to give, what he would have you to give to. It becomes a very vibrant part of your relationship with the Lord, and it doesn't look like everybody else. So we're not looking around going, well, how much is so-and-so giving, and how much are they giving, and well, they, they're, they're setting the standard. No, you look at what God wants you to do, and you purpose in your own heart. You let him write it upon your heart. Now, if you're married, this is something you do as a couple together. It's the last thing that you would want is for your giving unto the Lord be, be a wedge between you and your spouse. Your spouse comes home, and you're like, I gave away $100 
I was so excited about this opportunity, this door that God opened, and I, I just couldn't help it. And wow, I just gave that $100, and your spouse is looking at you like, you did what? There goes the utilities for the month, right? Like, we haven't thought about this. We haven't been purposeful about this. We haven't prepared this. We haven't communicated. So finances inside of marriage have either the potential to create fuel for great bonding, a great fire, or for great division, right? You can decide, well, this is what we want to do with this, and in excitement, you can do it together, or it can be something that, that divides you. And unfortunately, money becomes something that divides instead of, of unifies, but as you pray about it together, as you decide together, you have purpose, and you've gone to the Lord, and then you give unto the Lord and his work. Let's cross-reference in the book of Malachi, Malachi chapter 3, where God addresses giving as well. And the purpose behind giving and us being intentional about the giving in our lives. So this is Malachi 3, verse 8. The Old Testament, the book of Malachi, it's the last book in the Old Testament, just right before the Gospel of Matthew. It says, Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say... In what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. So would anybody rob God? We'd probably all say, no, I wouldn't, I wouldn't rob God. I wouldn't be that bold to, to rob God. But then God says, you've robbed me in tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a cursed. You have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be found food in my house and try me in this, says the Lord. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that you will not have room enough to receive it, I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes so he will not destroy the fruit of your ground. Nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for the field, says the Lord. And all of the nations will call you blessed for you have a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. So what's the tithe? This is a, a verse or a word that we use a lot in the church, but, but what exactly does the tithe mean? Tithe literally means 10%. There's an old far side comic where a pastor's up at the pulpit and he's saying, did you know that the Hebrew definition of tithe is 13%? <laughs> you know, because it's 10% and he was wanting to get more money out of people uh, in, in the church. And if you're new to RMC, I want you to hear our hearts. Hopefully you see this in our actions is we don't take a tithe and offering here. We don't pass the plate or the KFC bucket, if you've seen that before. Not that there's anything wrong with that because giving is a part of our worship. There's boxes in the foyer if you feel led to give. You can also do that online, but we want that to be between you and the Lord. We really believe that God is faithful to provide for his church, and he's been faithful to do that at RMC. So I'm talking about giving because we're going through the Bible. We're going Genesis to Revelation, and this is where our, our text has been. If you've come here for any uh, length of time, this is not my pet topic that I, that I always talk about. So it's where we're at in, in Scripture tonight. And so God says the tithe, 10%, and the offering above and beyond that 10%. But then in the New Testament, it says, let each of you purpose in your own heart. So I think New Testament living is you're not bound to a percentage, if we're going to really be honest with the Scriptures. It's not that you're bound to, to 10%. You're to go before the Lord and ask that God would put on your heart exactly what you're supposed to, to give un, unto to the Lord. But this principle that we find in Malachi is true. 
And we find that if we're putting the work of God before our own needs, then God's saying, test me in this. This is the one area that you can test me in to see if I'll be faithful. And if you put the tithes and offerings first, whatever you purpose in your heart, then God will provide and he will rebuke the devourer. Now I want to share a little bit of Amber and I's uh, experience uh, in this. And I do have permission. I've gotten permission with my wife in sharing this story. But we'd been married for, I don't know, let's see, probably about a year. And uh, once we'd been married for seven, uh, seven months or so, we were able to buy a small house downtown. It was our first house. It was built in like 1948. It was a wonderful little house, a little uh, fixer-upper. And I remember uh, Pastor Robert going, man, the interest rates are so good right now. You've got to buy a house. They were 7%. <laughs> you know, it's, it's like... If you, if you think interest rates are high, man, they're really good right now. But that's another, that's another topic. So, so we went ahead and bought this little house, and it was tight. I mean, we squeezed every penny, each, every way we could to, to, to make this work. And I was junior high youth pastor here at the church, and I, I'm kind of a numbers guy and doing all the numbers. And I'm like, every penny absolutely counts. And we'd made an agreement before we got married, to tithe and give the first fruits to God, that that would be the first check that we wrote every month. Well, guess what I started to do? I stopped tithing. I stopped bringing in our check and dropping it in, in, in the box. And it, of course, I didn't tell Amber. And it's just like, things just got worse and they got worse. And then I remember one night we were sitting on our couch and Amber's just like, I don't know what's going on. Like, I am trying my very hardest here, and it just seems like we've got holes in our pockets. And I just felt the Holy Spirit going, it's time to be honest. It's time to be honest. She was like, I've been doing this like two or three months. You know, this was over a period of time. And so I said, hey, babe, I've, I've stopped tithing. <laughs> and she's like, she's like, what? You, you, you did what? And I'm like, yeah, I stopped tithing. And she's like, we need to get back to that. You know, that we need to start putting first things first, seeking first the kingdom, and putting that first. And so we started doing that. And the Lord just started providing, you know, uh, you know, people just blessing us. We didn't even know anonymously. The Lord just provided. I don't know how it worked, but it provided. I remember my dad sharing this with me growing up when they were really tight on finances. He decided the first thing was going to be the tithe check. And he, when he did the numbers, they didn't have enough money to make it through the month, but God always provided. And I'm not saying that there's not going to be financial difficulty, and I'm not saying that we don't have to be responsible, but I am saying God will be faithful to his word. And a lot of times we go, you know what, I can't give because I can't afford it. And once, once I get to the place that I can afford it, then I'll start giving. And I think what God is saying, and it's not a percentage, is go ahead and put the giving first. And between you and the Lord, and then trust the Lord. If it's 2%, it's 2%. If it's 1%, it's 1%. If it's 15%, it's 15%. God's not about a percentage. It's the heart of giving. And I, this is what I found in my heart. And I know this might be really selfish to you or surprising to you, but my heart is very prone to selfishness. <laughs> it, it is. And giving is the best thing for me because it frees my heart from selfishness and it reminds me it all belongs to the Lord. My heart needs it more than anything else. So I think giving has to be purposeful. It's got to be something that we choose to do, that we put at the front of the list, not at the bottom of the list. But the next thing that we find about giving back into 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 9, verse 7, is that giving is to be cheerful. It's to be cheerful, 
not grudgingly or out of necessity, this is number three, for God loves a cheerful giver. When God says he loves something, don't you take note to that? What does God delight in? He delights in when he sees his children be cheerful givers. So I don't think that God wants us giving just based out of a need or just being out of guilt and shame. You've got to know this about the Lord. He owns everything. Everything belongs to him. He's not broke, and he doesn't need your money. So if we're going to the Lord like, oh, here you go. Here's your stinking offering. Here's your stinking tithe. I, I, I hope you're happy. Or trying to earn brownie points with God or favor with God. Like, okay, if I, if I give financially to the Lord, then God's going to give me a kickback. It, it's none of that. We're freed from all of that. It's, it's so we can just give hilariously. That's what this word cheerful literally means, to, to give hilariously unto the Lord. And that's the attitude that blesses the Lord when we give. So if you're giving out of necessity or you're giving out of that place of, man, I'm just, it's a drudgery, then just keep it. Just keep it. It's okay. Just hold on to it. Because what the Lord delights in is just give cheerfully. Just give it hilariously. Give it with a, a heart of love and a heart of laughter in blessing the Lord. So we're give purposefully. We're to give cheerfully. And then verse 8, and really from verse 8 to verse 15, we're going to see how giving is beneficial. So beneficially giving and what God does in our hearts and lives as we give. And that's point number four is beneficially giving the benefit. And God is able to make all grace abound towards you that you also, having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. Giving is an act of faith, of dependency of God's ability to provide. Well, if I give to this, even time, even time, okay, I'm going to carve out some time and I'm going to serve other believers. I'm going to reach out to, to unbelievers. I'm going to line myself up with God, God's mission. Then we go, I don't know if I'm going to have time to X. I don't know if I'm going to get to that firewood. I don't know if I'm going to be able to mow the lawn like I should or fix this at the house. And once again, when we put our priorities in line with God's kingdom, he makes things work. It, it, it just starts to to, to fit together. It's God's ability to provide with our finances. And again, I'm not saying that if you give, you're destined to get rich and you won't have any financial difficulty. But God right here in his word, he's saying he's able to make grace abound to you. He'll, he'll provide for your, for your need. He'll, he'll be there for you. And notice what it says. It says, always having sufficiency in all things may have an abundance for every good work. Take a minute to just think about God's faithfulness in this area of provision. How many meals have you missed? You know, you have a roof over your head, apartment, a house, car maybe, clothes. God's so faithful to provide. Think about it in your own life. Maybe sometimes where you didn't know if you were going to make it. You didn't know if you were going to have food. You didn't know if you were going to pay bills lost a job, your health went, you, the list goes on and on, but you're here today. God got you through it. He was faithful to be able to provide. David said this, I'm young and now I'm old. Can you relate? <laughs> he says, I was young and now I'm old, but I've never seen the righteous begging for bread. God's been faithful to provide. And maybe you're fearful about the future for some reason. Financially, you're fearful. I don't know how we're going to get through. God will be faithful to provide. 
He, he's able to give us the sufficiency in all things, having abundance for, for every good work. In verse 9, as it is written, he is dispersed abroad, he's given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. This is a quote from Psalms 112, verse 9. It's speaking of just a generous heart, someone who's willing to give generously. He's dispersed abroad, he's, he's shared with others, he's given to the poor. Did you know that the poor is one of the themes in the Bible? The word poor is used 198 times. 198 times God gives reference to the poor. In Psalms 12, it says this, For the oppression of the poor, for the sighing of the needy, now I will arise, says the Lord. I will set him in the safety for which he yearns. So God hears the cry of the poor, the sighing of the needy, and God says, I will arise. It's amazing to me the opportunities that we have to bless people in Jesus' name with something like $30 a month. And I know $30 a month is a lot, but through organizations like Compassion International, you can sponsor one child, a child that doesn't have food, doesn't have the opportunity for education to hear the name of Jesus Christ, and a child's life can be changed through $30 a month. And you go, wow, how quickly can I spend $30 a month, you know? And it, as the Lord begins to put things on your heart, I think in some aspect of our Christian life is we want to have a mission of reaching out to the poor. As a church and our overall budget, we, we have money set aside to, to reach out to the poor. We don't want to forget about the poor. And Jesus said this, he said that what you do to the least of these, you do unto me. I was really blessed, Project Angel Tree, Parents are incarcerated. I don't think we've ever done it here at RMC before. We put out the tree, 210 kids. It was gone within three services. By the third service on Sunday, we, didn't, we had more people that wanted to do it than, than we had kid, kids left. That, that shows your heart, and, and you guys are amazing at that. You know, when there's an opportunity to give, you, you jump at that. And it's something that God wants to plant deep in our hearts. And then notice what it says. His righteousness endures forever. There is an eternal legacy that happens through giving. Jesus told us to lay up our treasures in heaven. That's one of the reasons he wants us to give, because it plants our hearts in heaven. Church, I don't know of any other time where it may be more important to have an eternal perspective. And giving is one of those things that helps us be reminded that this earth is, is not our home. Verse 10 now may he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food supply and multiply the seed you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness. Meditate on that a little bit. He supplies the seed. God gives us the seed. He also provides the bread and he provides the increase and the multiplication. Who knows what could happen with a gift and investment in the kingdom of God? You don't know where it's going to go. You don't know how God is going to use it, but he's the one who has supplied it. I think it's really, really important for us as believers to know and understand it doesn't belong to us, and it was all provided by the Lord. Well, I worked for it. Well, who gave you the health to be able to go to work? Who gave you the job? Who gave you the favor? Who gave you the ability to be able to do it? It was the Lord's. It's not our house, it's not our car, it's not our clothes, it's not our food. So we need to go, Lord, what do you want to do with my house? Well, I don't want them to live in my house, but the Lord may want them to live in your house. Could be your mother-in-law. Pray hard about that one. <laughs> the outlaws, you know? I'm joking. <laughs> Halfway, joking. 
well, okay, Lord, it's your house, right? Is this, is this what, this is what I have, but this is what you would have. I'm getting myself in trouble here. <laughs> but it's important, isn't it, to go, this, this belongs to you. Okay, Lord, you've blessed me with this car. I'm willing. I'm willing to share. I'm willing to give. I'm willing to give a ride. Someone needs it. Lord, they, they, they can have it. Because the Lord is the one who, who provides, and he gives the multiplication and the increase. In verse 11, while you are enriched in everything for all liberality, which causes thanksgiving through us to God. So while you are enriched in everything for all generosity, for all liberality. So this is important to understand. When God blesses, why does he bless? He spoke to Abraham and he says, I've blessed you so that you could be a blessing. And that's the very principle of why God blesses. Going, Lord, why, why have you blessed me in this way? Why have you given me this time, this ability, this resource, so that we could be a blessing to others? Just like we need to see that it belongs to the Lord, we also need to understand, well, why has God enriched us? He's enriched us to be able then to give and give generously to others. And notice what happens with giving is it causes thanksgiving. It causes people to be thankful. Have you ever received a gift and it's made you feel the love of God? Someone just took a little bit of time to think about you, and maybe it was a time in your life where you really did have need, or maybe all of your needs were met, and someone just went out of their way to invest just a little bit. They, they, they gave, and you felt the love of the true giver, your father. You knew ultimately it was coming from God, and it encouraged you. That gift is powerful, and it causes thanksgiving. The person that's receiving it the person's that's giving it, going back to the joy of giving. Do you ever give a gift and just go, God, I'm so thankful that I was able to be a part of that. Thank you that you allowed me to be able to give that gift. It causes thanksgiving. But it also causes thanksgiving by someone who's observing. They're watching someone giving a gift. They're watching someone receiving a gift, and it causes them to, to be thankful. So verse 12, for the administration of this service not only supplies the needs of the saints, but also is abounding through many thanksgiving to God. So it meets the need, but it also causes thanksgiving to abound to God. Verse 13, while through the proof of this ministry they glorify God for the obedience of your confession to the gospel of Christ and for your liberal sharing with them and all men. So what's the benefit of giving? It causes thanksgiving, but also the benefit of giving is it's the proof of this ministry. It's glorifying to God and it lines up with the confession of the gospel. So if God's the giver, if that's part of who he is and his character and his nature, when we choose to give, when we choose to share, God's glorified. Now, if that's not a benefit for giving, I don't know what is. That people could see who God is, and then it lines up with the gospel. When we think about the gospel, the gospel's not past tense in our lives. That Jesus died for our sins and rose again. It's present tonight. How does the gospel impact us? That Jesus died for me and rose again? God, you loved me so much that you gave your only begotten son. Then that moves me to want to give. And when I'm giving then that lines up with my confession of the gospel. It lines up with my agreement of, of the gospel. And that, that's the benefit and the power of giving. In verse 14, And by their prayer for you, who long for you because of the exceeding grace of God 
in you. And this is a powerful way that we end our study tonight. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Now, please pay attention. Don't let me lose you in these last few moments. Notice carefully that it is singular. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. One gift. What do you think that is? It's Jesus. Paul is saying, I am so blown away that God would give me his son. You can't even begin to describe this amazing, tremendous gift of God giving his only begotten son. The father speaks from heaven a few times in the gospels at the baptism of Jesus, the Mount of Transfiguration, and both times audible voice of the father. Wouldn't you like to be able to hear that? What does the voice of the Father sound like? But this is what he said both times. He says, this is my beloved son. This is my beloved son. Now, there's nothing that really feels better as a parent or as a child to just grab your kids and love on them. And like, you're my girl. You're my princess. I love you. To grab your son, you're my boy, you know? Oh, yeah, you're my boy. Even as a grown man, as a 37-year-old, when my, when my dad, you know, gives me a big man hug and says, like, oh, yeah, you're my boy. I'm proud of you. I'm like, oh, that feels good, you know, right? And I just, I just love doing that to my kids. I love just grabbing them and loving on them and, and kissing them. And, man, I love you. You're, you're my boy. You're my girl. And the father is speaking to his son. He's saying, you're my boy. You're my beloved son. You're my only begotten. And I think sometimes as we are around the scriptures and around a relationship with Christ, around Christianity, we forget the power of, for God so loved the world, for God so loved you, that he gave his only begotten son, his beloved, that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. It'd be enough for God to give us his son, but then the manner in which he gave his son, that Jesus would come humbly, born in Bethlehem, in human flesh, God in human flesh, would grow up in a podunk town where people said, could anything good come from Nazareth? As a carpenter, ridiculed, mocked, beaten, his beard ripped out, crucified upon the cross. Just like there's no joy compared to loving on your kids and declaring that you're my son, you're my daughter, there's no pain that's worse than watching your kids suffer. It's the worst. I hate it. You hate it. It doesn't matter if it's the stomach flu or they're getting picked on at school or worse, they're having cancer, they're in the hospital. It breaks the heart of a parent every time. And to have the father watch his only begotten, his beloved son, upon the cross, dying upon the cross, being tortured, being spit upon. But remember, it wasn't an accident. It was intentional. The father sent him there. Jesus was going to the cross out of the love for the father. And God did this so that we could be the recipients of the gift so that we could be the recipients of what Christ has done for us, so we could be saved and have eternal life, have our sins forgiven, be the sons and the daughters of God. 
And this whole discussion on giving is just religion and it's meaningless and it's guilt and shame until you connect with the gift of Jesus Christ. You go, God, you've given your son for me. You love me. And then you know what's going to happen just naturally out of response? You're going to want to give. You're going to go, I want to be a giver because I want people to know this great love. I'm not giving to try to earn God's favor. I'm not earning to try to deserve brownie points from the Lord. I'm accepted. I'm received. I'm touched by by the love of God. This chapter for me tonight has been very refreshing. I think that I need to connect back with the heart of giving. Sometimes you get in the habit of giving and you lose sight of the heart of giving and it just becomes your tradition. It's what you do. Ho-hum, ho-hum. You know, here I go. And you forget the meaning behind the giving. You forget why you're doing what you're doing. And I've been really refreshed in studying this chapter. I hope you've been refreshed as well. And I leave you with this, is get creative with some giving. Just seek the Lord. Go, God, what, what would you have me to do? Maybe I need to change up some things that I'm giving, but I want to connect back with, with the heart of giving. So let's stand together and let's pray. Father, this chapter is such a good chapter. This truth is so refreshing. And I just pray for all of us tonight that as we take communion, that we could be refreshed once again, that you so loved us, you so loved the world, that you gave your only begotten son, that we would take time to remember that tremendous gift and receive it afresh, and that you would speak to our hearts of how you want us to live our lives in areas that you want us to give. If there's those that have never received your grace, never received salvation, we pray that tonight would be the night of salvation. In Jesus' name, amen.